0: What I want to share specifically um, is the Davidic heart this morning. The Davidic heart. This is, this is uh, the, the story of my life. Okay, listen. I know I'm intense, but listen. I have purpose before the Lord that I don't preach a message that doesn't originate first in my journal. So I, this is not me up here giving you guys Bible information. This is, this is a journey of transformation that the Lord has brought me through from the wilderness season of exposing my heart and bringing me into his heart. Amen. And so I want to share this with you uh, because to get this vision that the Lord has brought upon this house, we must be a kingdom people. This call he's given us is a kingdom call. And to to, to fulfill this kingdom call, we must be a kingdom people. And to be a kingdom people, we must have a kingdom heart. I believe the kingdom heart that the Father wants to give us is that of David. That in the same way that the kingdom of Israel transitioned from Saul to David, the Father wants the kingdom in us to transition from Saul to David. And I'm going to unpack this, but what does it say about Saul and David? In 1 Samuel 13, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it. We're going to get into the scriptures. I have a ton of scriptures and I don't want to lose anybody. 1 Samuel 13 13 Samuel said to Saul you have acted foolishly you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded for you for now the Lord would have a, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not endure the Lord the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. This is reiterated in Acts 13, and I think that this is God's sense of humor because you know the man that is uh, uh, quoting this scripture is a man named Paul who was once named Saul that was also from the tribe of Benjamin. I, God's sense of humor is, is amazing to me. So Paul, Paul says... After he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will or all my wishes. Listen, the Father wants to transition us from having a Saul-like heart to a Davidic-like heart. The Davidic heart is the heart that is after God's. What does that mean specifically? I believe that the Davidic heart, a a, a heart that is after God's, is primarily two things. It's after God in all of its pursuits, in all of its desires. It wants nothing but God. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord spoke to me because I was wrestling with like, God, do I just want you for like your anointing and your power and influence and my own name and my own title and my own influence over the body? Do I just want you for your gifts or do I just want your heart? Are you good enough? Is your beauty, is your glory just for myself? If you never asked me to, is that enough for me? So I was wrestling, the Lord was taking me through and dealing with the motives of my heart and I believe the Lord spoke to me from Psalm 23 and said, because the Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It, it means that, that Jesus as our shepherd provides us everything we need. And so the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, when you realize that all I am all that you need, I will also become all that you want. We need a revelation that Jesus is all, of we, all that we need. So the Davidic heart number one is a heart that is after God's in all of its pursuits. Everything is oriented around the kingdom of God. Everything is seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. It's a burning passion within to see the face of God, to behold his face. Psalm 27.4. This one thing I ask that I shall seek, that I might dwell in your house for all the days of my life, that I would behold your beauty. David wanted one thing, to see the beauty of God, to behold the face of God. So being a people after God's heart is a being a people who is in pursuit of him hard, who is after him with everything that they have, who are desperate to have him, who know that without him there's nothing. That we have nothing without him. And then number two, it's a people that is after uh, his likeness. What I mean by that is specifically that when we are a people who pursue his face, we become like him in heart. We become like him in character. We become like him in nature. That we become what we behold. Listen, if we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, if we want to be the light of Jesus in the world, we better look like him. And it's not just in appearance, it's in heart. And so, a, a people that is after God's heart in pursuit and likeness. And if we are after God in his pursuit, in, in all of our pursuits, and in the way that we look on, in our heart, what does it say in Acts 13? It says uh, he was seeking, he, he found a man that would do all of his will. If we're after his heart and we look like him, we will accomplish the will of God over our lives. So uh, let's um, let's see here. I got a little lost. Praise the Lord, He's He's found me. <laughs> um, so let's. I want to. So I want to break down a little bit what this actually means. Okay, what is the difference that we see between Saul and David in the scriptures? I believe Saul represents the outward appearance. And I believe David represents the inward appearance like I just mentioned. Listen, Saul was a man who, was, who, who, who had a poor view of himself. Let me read this scripture. 1 Samuel 9, 2. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. The Bible says that Saul was the most attractive man in the entire nation. Saul is a picture of the outward appearance. But as we see his story, we see that he is full of shame. He's full of fear of man. He's full of insecurity that eventually leads him to forfeit the kingdom of God. And so David is about the inward appearance. Listen, on the outward appearance, I want to just highlight and touch on spiritual fronts and spiritual facades. Listen, yeah, like there's some of us that, you know, myself included, like I, was, I used to be obsessed with my physical appearance. I used to be in the gym two hours a day. I, I, was, I was terrified of what people thought of me. But I'm not talking, yes, outward appearance in terms of caring about, like, being obsessed with our physical appearance, but more importantly, what I want to highlight is our outward appearance in a spiritual sense that we put on spiritual facades. We put on spiritual masks that we, we, we might know the word, but the word hasn't touched our hearts, that it's really real in us. Guys, can I tell you, this is my story. I grew up knowing the word after I gave my life to the Lord. After I gave my life to the Lord, I was heavy in the word. I knew the word. I knew in name that I was a son of God, but it wasn't real in my heart. And so I was still, I had all the right answers. I had all the right Bible verses. I had all the right prayers. And you know what the Lord spoke to me one day in prayer? Because, you know, it's just like we don't know what to pray, and so we just like start just like, oh, God, like, you know, I, I'm not trying to, down, like, to be a downer on anybody's prayer life. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit to me, Okay. But it's like we, we try to find all the right language and we just fill the emptiness with just like rather than just being raw before God, rather than just being vulnerable before God. And the father spoke to me and he said, what if your words to me are getting in the way of my words to you? I believe that if we would just come to God in vulnerability, which is part of the word of Aaron Maleski to this body that we would be a, a greater depth of vulnerability bare before him, that God w- w- can do an amazing work with a vulnerable heart. Francis Frangipan said that our greatest uh, defense against the devil is an honest heart before God. Can I tell you that when I started getting real with God about where my heart was and the disconnect between where my heart was and the word of God, that's when transformation started to happen. That's when things started to shift and change in my life. When I was like, you know what, God, I actually have no idea what I'm doing. Even though I know in truth that I'm a son to you, I have no idea what that means. I don't know what my identity is. I had an identity crisis in my life. I walked with the Lord for 10 years saying, yeah, I'm a son of God. My identity is as a son of God. My worth, value, and significance is infinite. I'm purchased by the blood of Jesus. We have all the right answers, but God wants to do a depth of work in our heart. That's so that we don't just know that I'm a son, but that I actually start feeling like a son. And that when the temptation to be overcome with shame, fear, anxiety comes, it, like, it, like, it doesn't even touch me. It, like, it doesn't even bother me. See, it's not that the Davidic heart doesn't uh, deal with fe- fear. It's that the Davidic heart is not overcome by fear. Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord, and he delivered me from all of my fears. So it's a transition from outward appearance. It's a transition from having all the right answers. Do you know that the Bible says in James that one one of the biggest forms of self-deception is being a hearer of the word without being a doer of the word? So, so in my life, I felt like I, I, I knew things because I've heard them before. But what we know isn't measured by, by what information I have. What I know in my life is measured by the transformation I walk in. This self-deception is like, it has to be unmasked in our midst. That we, th- like, listen, I, I believe deception is believed lies That create alternate false realities. In other words, I'm believing lies and I'm walking in a reality that I think is true, but it's actually not. It's actually false. And that's what self-deception is. We can't see it. And that's why if we live a life that is vulnerable and honest before God, he'll expose it all. The Davidic heart is exposed before God. Psalm uh, uh, 139, the very last two verses, David prays, search me, know me, try me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's a transition from outward appearance to inward appearance. The Bible says uh, that God desires truth in the inward parts. God doesn't want all of our right answers. God wants the truth of our hearts, even if, he, listen, we have to be respectful. We have to honor him. Our father who is in heaven, his name is holy. But the father wants the truth of our hearts. He wants the sincerity of our hearts. And what he can do with that is, is amazing. Read Psalm 51. It's a psalm of, of repentance and transformation. So the Lord wants to take us from outward appearance to inward appearance. First so, uh, Samuel 16 6 through 7, when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, sorry, when, when they entered, he, being Samuel the prophet, looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God is after a people whose heart is pure before him. It's not about the outward appearance. It's not about the fronts we put on. It's not about the fig leaves that we put on to cover our shame and our brokenness. Shame and insecurity to identity and security. Saul replied, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of tribes of Israel? and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin why then do you speak to me in this way that's first samuel 9:21 first samuel 10:22 therefore they inquired further of the lord has the man come here yet speaking of saul so the lord said so the lord said behold he is hiding himself by the baggage 1 Samuel 10 is when uh, 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 Saul is being prepared to be promoted as the king of the nation. It's the moment of his promotion and he's found hiding in the baggage. If that doesn't speak of shame, if that doesn't speak of small uh, 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 view of yourself, I don't know what does. Samuel said, Is it not true? Though you were little in your own eyes. You were made the head of the tribes of Israel. So what the devil wants to use to shame us, God will use to humble us. What I mean by that is even though Saul, like, was that true that the the tribe of Benjamin was the smallest tribes? Yes. Was it true that he came from the smallest family of the smallest tribe? Yes. But that should have humbled him even more to say that God chose me. See, when we allow our background, when we allow our inadequacies, when we allow our deficiencies that we see in the natural and in the flesh to prevent us from what God wants to do, then, then there's, no, there's no hope. We have to exalt him above all of that trash. It says of David in 1 Samuel 17, through 24, It says, then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. So where we find Saul hiding in the baggage, we see David leaving his baggage and running to the battle. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words. And David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. I find it interesting and fascinating and very sad that when David comes to the battle line and the troops are under Saul's care, that the whole entire troop, the whole entire army is cowering in fear. Listen, if we're, if we're leaders and we have fear that dominates our life, those who are following will live in fear. Listen, we have to deal with this stuff. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Listen, in that fear of man phrase, that's not just related to fear of other people and opinion of man. I believe the Lord spoke to me and said, no, this is all fear that man has in his heart. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The word in Hebrew there for snare is a noose around the neck and a ring in the nose, like for pigs. Fear suffocates. The purpose of the ring in the nose for the pig is to lead them, to control them, to lead them wherever they want to go, which is ultimately straight to the slaughter. Fear leads to death. Fear is a controlling, suffocating force in our lives that if we don't deal a death blow to it, or rather, if God, we don't allow God to deal a death blow to it, it's a monster. So David was a man who was secure in his identity. David was a man whose identity was fortified by testimony. What I mean by that is when he gets to the battle line, he's recounting and recalling, the God who delivered me from the bear, the God who delivered me from the lion will surely give me victory over this giant. So he didn't just have identity and name. No, he had walked with God. Listen, I believe that there's a difference between history in the Lord and testimony in the Lord. I believe that uh, history in the Lord, just a simple recounting of our lives since the time that God uh, saved us. Listen, I believe the difference between history and testimony is that history is just simply our lives just, you know, without him breaking in and transforming us. Testimony touches our hearts in a way that causes transformation. And that's what David had. David was bold and confident in the moment of battle. When he was overlooked, listen, David had all the reasons to be filled with shame and insecurity too. David, had, David might have had more reasons to be filled with shame and insecurity than Saul. When Samuel came to David's father, David's father didn't even bother bringing David among his sons. David's own father was like, Oh, he's just a chump. He's just a runt. He's just out in the field tending sheep. Do you think that David had to deal with the fear of, or from, with rejection from his own father? And then he gets to the battle line, and this is what his brother said of him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? in that moment, David could have been overcome by accusation and offense and like, oh my gosh, like he thinks he's supposing on my motives and I don't know if I can do it. It's like, no, David was confident in who he was. He had identity that was fortified by testimony from God walking with him and defeating the lion and the bear. And, And David knew who he was because he knew whose he was. Listen, I believe David knew the promises to Abraham that God spoke. I believe that the reason uh, David got up there and spoke to Goliath that, you know, who are you to curse the armies of the living God? And he had such boldness and confidence is because he was actually standing on the word of God to Abraham that says, those who you bless, I will bless. Sorry, excuse me. Those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. David knew his lineage. David knew to who he belonged. David didn't succumb to opportunity to be full of shame and insecurity. He wants to move us from fear and approval of man to fear of God and approval of God. Let's go to 1 Samuel. Fifteen. I don't even know what time it is. First Samuel fifteen. This is powerful, guys. This is this wrecks me every time I read this. I'm grieved in my heart because it speaks. It, it's spoken so much to me in my life. First Samuel fifteen. Let's. We're just gonna read some scripture here, so please just bear with it. Um, not that we should bear have to bear with the word of God. 1 Samuel 15, 10. We're looking at Saul's life, how he was overcome by fear and approval of man and the shame. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commandments. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Do you guys see the outward appearance of man in that statement? Do You guys see that? Saul literally is walking in disobedience, and Samuel comes to approach him and confront him. And Saul's like, hey, I carried out the command of the Lord. I did what the Lord asked me to when he had absolutely not done it. In, is this relatable to anybody? Have I've done this so many times in my life where I feel like God has put something on my heart to give up, to do, or otherwise and it's like I somehow hear the word of the Lord, and I, then in my own flesh, I rationalize and spiritualize everything in a way to actually make the thing that I'm doing a reason that it's for God. Am I the only person here that's done this? Let's keep reading. <laughs> Blessed are you of the Lord. Verse 13. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, "Is it not true though you were little in your own eyes, that you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you as king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, 'Go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated.' Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord?" Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He doubles down on his disobedience. Is this relatable? come on. I mean, I've done this so many times. It's like, no, actually I did this, but to sacrifice to you, God, I did it for you. And it's like, no, but that's not what I asked you to do. If you are a parent in this room, I mean, how many times have you seen this in your kids? It's like, I asked my little daughter, I love her so much. She's amazing. I asked her, Lydia, will you do this? Oh yeah, I mean, I need to do this first. Or like, let me do it this way instead. It's like, no, but that's not what I asked. Lydia, will you do it now? But I need to go potty first. I I, need, I mean like seriously, but this is the stuff. This is our hearts. And then this happens to me as I'm parenting, as I'm fathering my daughter, and I'm like so convicted, like God, this is me. This is me. I'm like Lydia, will you just listen? Will you just listen? Lydia, just listen to me, please. Do you like do you do you love me? Like I find No, like seriously, but like Jesus says in his word, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's like I relate to that now. It's like, do you love me, Lydia? Like, will you just please do this? But I'm so convicted in my heart because it's a picture of me right before my eyes. Will I just listen to him? Jesus. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice And to heed than the fat of rams See, our problem is that instead of heed and hear We heed and hide The problem with our fallen humanity Is that the voice of God speaks to us and we hide Does it sound like Genesis 3 to anybody? Adam heard God, the presence of God He said, and and he hid from him he said, I, I was afraid because I was naked, so I, we hear God and we hide. Rather than hearing and heeding and paying attention. Listen, obedience starts in our internal thought life. I think that we actually relate, and, and, and we need to distinguish that action and obedience is actually the last step. In the Hebrew, in the Greek, the, the word for obey and obedience is like coming under a voice. It's coming under a voice, So what what does that phrase imply? Coming under a voice. Number one, it implies that I'm paying attention in the first place. Number two, it implies that I'm submitted to God and to what I'm actually hearing. And number two is the action. I'm actually acting on that which I'm attentive to and that which I'm submitted to. So obedience is really attention, submission, and then action. Listen, it says in the word of God that we are to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. How how can I how can I expect in my life if I don't believe the truth of what God says about me? How do I believe that I'm going to live obedient? Obedience actually starts in our thought life. We need obedient thoughts before the Lord. The shame, the insecurity, the self-hatred. Listen, I was a king at self-hatred. I used to beat myself up with my words like none other. I used to look in the mirror at myself, cursing myself out and envisioning my head going through the glass. I'm just being raw with you guys. This was self-hatred, and I'm not the only one here. Listen, can I tell you, in, in dealing with our dysfunction, if you've been around and you've been a part of the repentance meetings that we've had, can I tell you that we can just lay it all down? Because here's the truth. There was not one thing that was repented for up here on the microphone that I cannot relate to in my life in one way or another, in one season or another. It is a lie of the devil to tell you that you have a trademark on your dysfunction, that you have a copyright on your dysfunction, that you're the only one that deals with it. Yes, we deal in different portions and measures. Guys, we're all just flesh and blood. This is what I'm talking about, letting the mask down. Like, I felt like when we were repenting up here, like, I felt like God was like, now we can get somewhere. Now we can go somewhere. Like, all of the the, the false stuff just falling down. Where was I? (laughs) Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Guys, follow close to me with this. This is unbelievable to me. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. The opinions of man, the voices of those who are with him prevented him from being obedient to God. Is this not relatable? I mean, this is like my life. Verse 25, now therefore... Please pardon, guys, listen, this is an example of fake repentance right here, what we're about to read. This is fake repentance. He, he says, I've sinned before the Lord. And then as you keep going, you get to see the motive and the underlying driving forces and factors that are operating in Saul's heart in his life. Okay, pay attention, please. I'm not saying that you're not. I just This is very important to me, so I hope it's important to you guys too. Verse 25, now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then Saul said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Samuel says, I have sinned. He fesses up. And then when he realizes, like, it's really, really, really real, he's like, no, no, just honor be before the elders. The approval of man and the fear of man in his life drove him so far that that was all he could think about. It was all he could obsess over. It was not real. Repentance. I believe this is part of the reason that the father tore the kingdom from him. Because if you look at the sins of Saul... In comparison to the sins of David? I'm like, like w- w- he didn't sacrifice to the Lord? And he didn't, he, he, or he, did, he didn't completely destroy them? And in an earlier chapter, it says that he, um, um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but in an earlier chapter, it says that he, he just didn't obey the, the Lord. Oh, he offered sacrifices before the time that Samuel was appointed to come and offer it. It says that he forced himself. It says, literally, in my anxiety, I did this. It says, I have not asked the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. The point I'm trying to make is that I believe that God knew what was in Saul's heart. Because David's sin was adultery, conspiracy of murder, murder. He took a census that he was not supposed to take, What was the difference? I believe one of the key differences in their heart postures is that the Davidic heart has a heart of true repentance. A heart that owns their stuff before God. See, Saul's motive for repentance was just getting back right with people. Has anybody just like any spouses in the room like ever just said sorry to your spouse just to get them off your back? I'm not saying it's right, but it's like, have we not all done it? Like, hey, yeah, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Like, please forgive me. Like, I just actually want to go to bed. I'm serious. It's not genuine, but we do this stuff before God. We see it in the life of Saul. Saul. So we see the fear. Are you guys seeing this in these scriptures? The fear of man, the approval of man, wanting to be honored before man, just caring so much about how people perceive you, how you sound, what's going on? What if, what if I fail? So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me. Because I saw that the people were scattering from me. And that you did not come within the appointed days. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. In my anxiety, I offered the burnt offering. Fear of man and fear of failure. I saw that the people were scattering. Guys, when we allow man to move our hearts more than God, we're in deep trouble. The Father spoke to me one time when I was a, a new believer, and I was, like, all hung up on worship. Like, what happens if I raise my hands? You know that? What happens if I move my feet? Like, I don't dance ever. Like, I don't even dance at weddings, but I dance like an idiot here because I don't care. But it's like the Lord was addressing me like, well, like, restricted movement, like, well, what happens if I go up front? Like, what will people think of my motives? Like, they think I'm just going up there to be seen by everybody else? I'm going to stay here in the back so that people don't. And the Lord spoke to me and said, when you allow the opinions of man and the fear of man to keep you from worshiping me, you're actually worshiping man and not me. So the Davidic heart is a heart of the fear of God and the approval of God. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 30, verse 3 through 8. When David and his men came to this city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Listen to this. Listen. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Amalek, Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to david david inquired of the lord there's the heart of pursuit there's the heart of seeking there's the heart of i don't know what to do i have to seek you god i'm not going to be moved by fear david inquired of the lord saying shall i pursue this band shall i overtake them and he said to them pursue for you will surely overtake them and you will surely rescue all. So where we see David being moved by the opinions of man and the fear of man that the people were scattering and he didn't know what to do so he didn't seek the favor of the Lord so he just did something. We see where David, it, there's, the people are speaking of turning on him. The people are speaking of murdering him. The people are speaking of stoning him to death for what has happened. And David's not moved. David is secure in God. He's secure in the anointing on his life. He's secure in the assignment that God has given him. And he seeks God. He inquires of God. Where Saul did not ask the favor of the Lord, David inquires, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod so I could go into the place of prayer, in this place of distress, and seek your face on what to do, God. So it's not that the Davidic heart doesn't deal with fear. It's just not overcome by it. You read the Psalms. The revelation of the Davidic heart is, is unbelievable to me. You read all the Psalms, and it's all a picture of the Davidic heart and the heart that's after God's. But you read the Psalms, and you see so many Psalms with fear, with, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's just another picture that, that the Davidic heart deals with its stuff vulnerably before God. God, I am so afraid right now. I don't know what to do, but I know you're greater than my fear. Yes. I know that I'm held in the palm of your hand. I know that your love is for me. I know that you're uh, for me and not against me. I know that you saved me from the pit of hell and from the dominion of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of your beloved son. Yes. This is like the pattern of the Psalms. Like, my God, I'm dying, but you're great. You're better, you're greater, you're higher. So what are the outcomes? So I hope that we're seeing the progression here of Saul's life. He was driven by outward appearance. He, was, he had sown into his heart the fear of man, fear in general, and the approval of man. He was obsessed with it. He had shame and insecurity that was sown in his heart. And what are the outcomes of Saul? Let me just read this. This is grieve. This is I can't even. This grieves my heart. This is sad. I'm not rejoicing in the downfall of Saul because David didn't. David wept over Saul. This is. But this is. Listen. Again, this is all a picture for the kingdom of God in our hearts, that we would transition from the kingdom that has a heart like Saul to a heart like David. And so we need to highlight what are the outcomes, what are the consequences if I do not submit to God and his love in my life to be healed and delivered from this trash, what could possibly happen to me? And guys, this was the road I was on. I was on staff at this church I was in training for eldership at this church in early 2021, 22. (laughs) And I had to step aside. I had to leave staff on this church. I had to step aside from being in training for eldership. Because this stuff was in my heart. And God had to remove me to restore me. Jesus. So the outcomes, what are the outcomes of uh, this underlying stuff? Outward appearance, shame, insecurity, fear of man, approval of man. What are the outcomes? Disobedience, rebellion. He was rejected as king and forfeited the kingdom that God said he would have established forever. That's, that's God's word to him in 1 Samuel. It said that he had an evil spirit. And in fact, it actually says that God sent an evil spirit on him. Don't ask me, because I don't, I don't know how that works, but it's what the Bible says. That's it, but that's intense. That should put the fear of the Lord in us. He had an evil spirit. His lineage was wiped out. There was no, his line was, was gone. He was filled with a murderous heart of jealousy. We see him hunting David like an animal. He was so filled with this stuff that when David started to rise and David started getting a name for himself because he was submitted to God, that he tried to kill the man. Listen, I'm not, I'm not thinking that any of us here are probably going to actually kill somebody, but you know what? Jesus raised the bar in the New Testament. Whoever is angry with his brother kills him. Whoever holds unforgiveness in his heart against his brother kills him. Listen, jealousy, I believe jealousy is a form of offense against God. We're offended with God because he made someone else something that I want to be and didn't make me that way. In the story of Korah's rebellion in Numbers, you know what it says about Korah's company? What happened was, is Korah became jealous of Moses and Aaron and the priesthood, and they rose up against him and said, who are you to tell us what to do that you think you're separate, that you think you're higher, that you think you're better than us? And so Korah and his company rebelled against Moses. And you know what the Bible says about Korah and his company? It says that they were men of renown. It says that they were men of renown. Jealousy always fails to see how God has made us and exalts another's gifting over what God has made us to be. Everybody who is, who is in the kingdom are men and women of renown because we're sons and daughters. Listen, it is a mark and a sign of maturity on our lives when we stop becoming jealous of people and we start becoming jealous for people. We stop becoming jealous of people for what they have that I don't, for what they carry that I don't, for the influence that they have that I don't, for the, the position on the microphone that I don't have, the anointing that I don't have, stops becoming jealous of people and it starts becoming jealous for people to walk in their full identity in Christ. God says in the Bible, he says, my name is jealous. We can be jealous for people to see them raised up in Christ to take their rightful place because everybody's needed. So he had a jealous heart, a murderous heart. When we walk in jealousy towards people, I believe it's a form of spiritual murder. Because we start comparing. We start competing. You know, what the, you know what one of the sickest things about competition is? What does competition say? It says, I want to win. What does that mean for everybody else? They, they lose. So what does it mean when people start getting exalted and promoted above me and I have competition in my heart? We start hoping for their failure. We start hoping for people, oh man, when he gets up to preach that message, I hope it sucks. Hey, It's real. I'm serious, man. Like, oh, this person joined the worship team. I feel like I'm called to worship. Well, I hope their voice cracks when they worship. I hope they sing out of tune. I'm touching something right now. I swear, I promise. This stuff is real. And you know how I know it's real? But the Lord can deliver it in our hearts, He can deliver us. Jesus, help us, God. Saul got involved in witchcraft. He seeks out a spirit doctor or whatever it, whatever it says and raises Samuel to talk to s- dead Sam. I, I, don't ask me again how this works or whatever. I don't, I don't know. But it's demonic and it's sick. And it's like we're, we're all like, oh, I won't operate in witchcraft. Like, but no, like if our hearts are exposed to this fear insecurity that like we, th- th- it is, okay. Th- this is, un- all this stuff is uncrucified flesh. Uncrucified flesh is food for the demonic. Uncrucified flesh is open doors for the demonic to come and ravage our lives. So what starts in the flesh, the enemy will take us and wear us like a glove and start making us instruments of disaster and destruction and of the demonic rather than weapons of righteousness like the Bible says God wants to make us. At the end of his life, Saul killed himself. He was in battle, and you know what, you know why he killed himself? Because he was afraid that the enemy would come and make sport of him and torment him. And he tries to get his armor bearer, whoever was with him, to kill him, and the guy said, I'm not touching the Lord anointed. So it says that Saul fell on his own sword. Even the fear of what the enemy would do, what others would do, led Saul to It's in the Bible, guys. I'm not making this stuff up. I will give you all of the verses, all of the. In fact, I encourage every single one of us to go back, and I don't have time to go through 20 chapters of the Bible this morning, verse by verse. I, I did it, but, you know. What's the outcome of the Davidic heart? Second Samuel 7 it says that God would establish the throne of David forever forever I have found David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will From the descendants of this man David according to the promise of God has brought to Israel a savior Jesus Listen The throne that God established through David forever is Jesus. When we come into alignment with the Davidic heart, that when we pursue God with all that we have and we're made in his likeness, it prepares the throne of our hearts to be ruled by Jesus himself. The Davidic heart brings Jesus. Jesus came through the lineage and the line of David. Would you guys stand with me? I just, I feel like we need to have an altar call this morning. Listen, I know, I know I preach long. I know we've been in here, but can I tell you guys, this stuff is serious. And I believe, I believe with every part of my body. Every part of my soul and my spirit. I I believe that God wants to bring deliverance from this stuff. Deliverance from insecurity. Deliverance from fear of man. Fear of failure. All this trash. So I want to invite everybody forward. Whoever feels. Or if you're just like, I want more of God. I've dealt with this stuff, but I just want more. I want more of a heart that pursues God. I want more of a heart that looks like God. I want to do all of his will. All of his wishes in the earth, in my life. I invite you to come up this morning. Do not let the fear of man keep you from coming up here to get delivered from the fear of man. Do not let shame of what will someone think of me if I'm kneeling in this altar keep you from your deliverance this morning.